The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. You are listening to Truth Time with Pastor Monty. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. They do have a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. You want answers? You can't handle the truth! The problem is having the right worldview and acting upon it. The worldview that gives men and women the truth of what is. Welcome to Truth Time with Pastor Monty show where two pastors from different generations talk about truth in today's culture. At the top of the show today, let's go ahead and spread this content by liking and sharing it and making sure that you're subscribed to our show. And for all of you on YouTube, hit the bell so you can be informed of all upcoming shows. The Truth Time with Pastor Monty broadcast is a part of the Lathia Bible Fellowship's online podcast network of shows called the VRM. If you're interested in this ministry or our other shows, you can check us out at abfpdx.org, where you can access more resources, donate, and learn more about ABF and our local church in Portland, Oregon. And now that all of that is said, I'm Pastor Josh, the senior pastor over at ABF, and your co-host for this show, and this is Pastor Monty. Welcome to Truth Time. I am Pastor Monty, and I come from the greatest generation and this is Pastor Josh, and well, it's up in the air. <laughs> I'm a Gen Xer. Uh, the uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm the X generation. How long are you sitting there waiting to say that? <laughs> you know, inspiration comes. You, you know? don't come from the, the greatest generation. They were your parents. You're a baby boomer. Okay. You come from what we call the me generation. I see. Okay. Baby boomer was uh, what they said afterwards because me generation was too spot on and offensive. Yeah. All right, and all the problems in culture right now are because your generation is in control. My generation is in control. But don't worry. Were, don't worry. But they were brought up by the don't worry. Greatest it's, generation. it's my generation, the Gen Xers, who are the parents of the weakest generation. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, we are going to continue our discussion um, for uh, for consistency. You know, if you. Um, have just come on to our program and you have not had an opportunity to listen uh, to prior episodes, then it's a reminder for you that you can always go back and listen to episodes which have been recorded before. And that way there would be some consistency in your thought because we try to provide consistency on what it is we're dealing with. Yep. And so uh, we are in the book of Second Thessalonians having... Uh, finished the book prior to that, First Thessalonians, and uh, we are continuing our discussion of Second Thessalonians, and then we are also talking about relationship in our uh, in our second half. So let's go ahead and uh, get into Second Thessalonians and in, in, in the Christ Factor. Just the So, um, just let me uh, report a blessing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a blessing Go since, ahead. you know, I've had uh, some issue. Um, I got, my, my, got my, uh, my large print Bible, finally. He can probably turn it toward the camera, and then you'll be able to read it because it's so big. It's so <laughs> well, I don't know if it's that big. But uh, we left off uh, in our discussion uh, last week. In the uh, chapter two of Second Thessalonians, and we were basically talking about the fact that there are some things that that have to happen. So the the coming of the uh, Antichrist, the son of perdition, is is not just something which is going to happen. Even though we have throughout Christian history, we have had events where people have said, "There he is! There he is! There he is!" Um, the Apostle Paul gives us warning, and he says, oh, wait a minute, even our Lord gives us warning in Matthew. Um, but he gives us warning uh, and says, these things have to happen first. 
And so he's warning the church at Thessalonica that that is the case. And one of the things he talks about is he talks about the, um, uh, first of all, he talks about the fact that there will be many that will try to deceive and that there will be um, that spirit of deception that is there. What, what verse are we in? Well, basically, let's go back just to, um, so I don't have the right light here. Let's <laughs> see if producer Jasmine can turn up the light a little bit. Oh, that's better. Um, okay, and so he, and so the Apostle Paul says in verse two that you may not be shaken um, uh, for uh, of your composure or be disturbed either by the spirit or by the message or the letter uh, as it is from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you for it will come it will not come unless there is an apostasy that comes first and then the man of lawlessness will be revealed the son of destruction who uh, opposes um, and exalts himself above every so-called god or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. So, um, so there are a couple of things, and, and we left off our discussion um, last week with just talking about the fact that, that there have been many um, courses throughout history where there have been individuals that have said, you know, the Lord uh, has come or has already come, um, and, and, uh, if you're still here, you missed the boat or, right. you know, all kinds of different things. But the apostle Paul lays out that there is a, there is a structure. So you have to remember that God is not a God of chaos. He's a God of structure. And so even in the return of the Lord in the end times, there is a structure that exists. And one of the things that it talks about here is that there is going to be an apostasy, so, um, we, you know, that's kind of a big theological word. We toss it around a little bit. Um, what's apostasy uh, mean for our younger viewers? Um, apostasy is basically when somebody claims, it's specific to Christianity, but it's when somebody claims to be a disciple of Christ and is the opposite of that. But the key to apostasy is the claim. Because you can have somebody who's, you can have people who are not Christians, um, you know, and they're not apostates, they're just not Christians. It's somebody who claims to be Christian, but is not. That's the, and when I say is not, I don't mean like they are um, bad Christians. Yeah, they're not like, uh, they're not like... Um uh, a minister that is on TV that has disgraced himself. We're not talking that. Right, 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 right. We're talking somebody who refuses to follow the the biblical model, but still claims to be, um, or or maybe they don't claim to be Christian anymore. What they what they do is they they claim to be um, correct. I suppose. So a, a good example of an apostate would be Joseph Smith, right? Because he claimed to have, he claimed to, to come before God in the, the hills of New York. He claimed to come before God and get this message from God when he asked God, what is the true church, right? And so he, he asked God, what's the true church? And then supposedly Jesus and God the Father, Elohim, appeared before him in physical bodies and told him that none of the churches were the true church and that he needs to go out and start another church. So he claims to be legitimate um, in the church, but not the same as the the, the church. Uh, so that's what an apostate is. And there have been tons of people who have been apostate and even now we're beginning to see just this mass exodus of Christianity uh, proper where people hold the names or the circumstances or even the scripture, but they also deny everything that those things say, the implications of them, 
um, so on and so forth. You have Christians who who would call themselves Christians and fight that they should be Christians, like should be considered Christians, but they don't, you know, they don't believe that Jesus came in a real body and right. really died on the third day or that that matters. That's right. an apostate. So, right, and so we have uh, in our day and age... Um, the the danger, and Josh and I were talking about this uh, amongst ourselves uh, the other day. The da- the danger is is what what you have is you have leaders within the um, what would be considered the church proper who begin to teach their congregations that uh, that Christ is something else. For example, if they are touched uh, by the New Age movement, which came out of the which came out of the 1980s, if they were touched by the New Age movement, then the philosophy of the New Age movement, which comes out of the occult, basically is that you are God, you just don't know it. And so Jesus really represents being able to lead you to the God within. And we have uh, individuals who promote that type of a theology. Uh, very deceptive. We have. Uh, for, uh, I'll just drop one name. Don't. Uh, we have uh, Oprah Winfrey, who still claims to be Christian, still claims to be yeah. a believer, but doesn't know if Jesus actually died, and doesn't like to talk about the cross. And she stated she doesn't like to talk about the cross. Yeah, so she I'm finds not... it problematic. Right. Uh, Richard Rohr. He's like a huge apostate Franciscan. We talked a little bit about him last week. It. People use it loosely um, to refer to anybody who was once a part of the church and then left the church, but I think the actual biblical definition, the term apostate comes from the Greek word apostasia, which means defection. Right. Um, so it's... To fall away from. Yeah. It's like you, you, you've strayed from the path um, willfully. Um, so, I mean, you could loosely use it for somebody that has... And, and you didn't do it by yourself. Well, I don't know about that. I mean... But, I, but yeah, I guess if the, the idea of defection is... You took others Is that you took you. another side and you... Yeah. You, the danger is that you are, you are taking others with you. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it, is, it is very much akin to... And that's why it's distasteful as far as Scripture is concerned. It's very much akin to what happened with uh, Lucifer. Right. When he took a third of the heaven with him. I think, I th- so again, I think people use it loosely to describe like anything from somebody becoming um, an atheist to an agnostic, right? Or the deconstruction of faith is one way that they put it nowadays, um, where people tear apart their faith and then come to this sort of loose understanding of who God is. Um, but I think scripture is really clear that what it's talking about here is not somebody who just simply stops believing. And the reason why that is why I think that is because um, of the other descriptions that we find of like the last days where it's stated that there's going to be an appearance of religion, uh, but it has no like power authority or meaning in a person's life. Right. And And you see that kind of, we're going to talk more about that a little bit later. Yeah. So you have, first of all, there, there, there will be, an apostasy, and we're and we're talking we're talking about the, the 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 whole of the church now. So there will there will be an apostasy, which and so what that essentially means is that you're going to have if there's a great falling away of individuals from the from the body of Christ from the church, then that means that you're going to be left with a remnant that is there. But the the and that means. That you, there's going to be less. There's only going to be a few. There are like, a few real, are true, yeah. hardcore, you know, uh, still believe that Jesus is all he claims to be. Right. And to realize on the cross. So those people I call disciples of Christ. Um, but then he talks about the fact that there is also going to be uh, this individual who sets himself up in such a way that he. Uh, takes the place of all and any gods and sets himself in the uh, in the temple and and pretends to be God himself well that 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 seems simple when you begin to think about it and yet um, well it's kind of where we left off last week right 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 and so what we're really talking about is that 
um, in order for this to happen, it means that the temple uh, would have to be rebuilt in Jerusalem. And that sacrifice... So, so here's the deal. If you're not familiar with, with, with Judaism, what happens in Judaism is that the, the temple was the place where there was an outer court and there was an inner court, and in the inner court rested the Holy of Holies, and it was there that sacrifice was made so that the blood uh, could cover the sins of the people, and, and that had to be done every year. And there are very there only the tribe of Levi were allowed to do that, and there are very specific uh, things that have to happen. At this point, no temple exists. The temple was destroyed uh, in seventy A.D., and there's only the temple wall left, which yeah. is just one wall that people go and is, is typically known in Jerusalem as the Wailing Wall. That's the second temple. Yeah, it's the second temple. Because it was also temple. destroyed earlier than that. Right. Yeah. The the Nebuchadnezzar under Nebuchadnezzar, the temple was destroyed, and then it was rebuilt. And then uh, Herod uh, uh, built a temple, um, and that was torn down in 70 AD. Mm-hmm. And there's been a, me- a movement, a, a strong movement within the Orthodox, uh, ultra-Orthodox Jewish community to rebuild the temple several times now uh, since the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. And there is a current movement uh, still today that they have even gone, they've gone to the extent of, of uh, putting together all the implements which are necessary. Yep. And there's just a whole, there's a whole mysticism surrounding the, uh, the red heifers and, and a number of different things that have to take place. Here's the deal. Right, which incidentally went extinct, and right. now they've cloned them. Yes. So that they have them again. Right. And the, and the temple has the, the the temple itself. The temple ceremony has very distinct uh, implements, artifacts, implements that are used in the ceremony. In in so in order for so here's the deal. This is what I was getting to earlier. Maybe 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 producer Jasmine can uh, instead of knitting per, uh, find a. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I'm watching her knit. Maybe find a link to the cloning of the red heifers. So, third time now. Here's the deal: um, the temple does not currently exist. Uh, in fact, right now, the where the temple supposedly is supposed to sit uh, is where the uh, Muslims have bent the Dome of the Rock. So there's contention over the exact layout of where the temple is supposed to lay and how it's supposed to be laid out. Mm-hmm. Um, but when Herod built the temple, um, that took many, 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 many years. Right. Um, and, and if you're into construction at all these days, it no longer takes many, many years to build anything. And the belief is, amongst some who follow this uh, rather closely, that um, it, it it would be possible uh, for the temple to be built uh, within a six to nine month period. If you see the temple starting to be built, um, hold on to your seats because it's going to get real, real rough. Yeah, I think it's important to note, like we don't understand it in our... In, in our understanding, we don't really get why the temple is important because we come from a post-temple period. Right. Christians, in general, come from a post-temple period, and we believe in the worship of um, God through spirit and truth, and the world has kind of adopted that, um, even if they're not adopting Christianity. What's interesting to note, though, is that um, that's not the way it was for the Jews, and even Judaism nowadays is is a post temple uh, Judaism. The, what happened was everything was about the temple. Everything in worship was about the temple. They would even pray in the direction of the temple. 
um, sacrifices were to be made, you know, through the temple. When when Christ came, we understand that that you know went away. It wasn't necessary anymore because we could worship in spirit and truth, which is what he predicts. However, um, after the temple was destroyed in seventy A.D., there was a they they didn't know what to do and they didn't have control over the land and so on and so forth and so essentially what they did was they started to deconstruct Judaism as a temple based worship and started to put it more into the the law and the scribes and so a lot of the customs and so on and so forth of what we consider to be Judaism today are actually post temple um it's not ancient Judaism. Right. It's so, I mean, it's ancient in the sense that it's a couple thousand years old, but it's not ancient in the fact that it is, um, is in the fact that it came after the temple. And so what you have to understand is that the works that get you into right relationship with God through Judaism are, um, according to ancient Judaism, not good enough. According to Christianity, they're not good enough either because you come to God by faith, right? But according to ancient Judaism, they're not good enough. And so the the the, the Judaism that we have nowadays to those loyalists of ancient Judaism is essentially considered a band-aid. And so they haven't been making the sacrifices that they're supposed to make, and the nation of Israel has been hurt um, because they don't have a temple they can't make those sacrifices so they need to return to that and so a lot of uh, people believe a lot of people get right with god is to rebuild the temple so they can return to the pre uh to the pre uh to, to the ancient ways of judaism before they switched over to a rabbinic uh, type of judaism that they have nowadays which is you know which was a response to the um to the lack of a temple and that's why you have rabbinic Judaism, essentially, um, that's all based on the writings of the rabbis. This rabbi, that rabbi, so on and so forth. Um, it didn't used to be that way. So what would be helpful is that if you go back and you, you know, go back into the Old Testament, Deuteronomy and Leviticus, uh, and look at specifically the laws that the, the Hebrew people were to follow, in order to be right with God, yeah, and and because it was in the temple ceremony, the temple that was set up, uh, as they as they moved uh, from place to place, the temple was set up, and there was a very specific way that it was to be set up. There are very specific implements. You mean the tabernacle? The, the tabernacle yeah. and, and the sacrifices that had to be made, and the priests, which were only allowed to do so, the high priest was only allowed to do so, uh, to offer blood sacrifice. And there's just very, very specific things. And Judaism turned to uh, the rabbinic, as what Josh is, is uh, alluding to, because the, uh, the mainstay of the temple during the destruction of Nebuchadnezzar disappeared, that being the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the, there's a whole mystique surrounding what happened to the Ark of the Covenant. Of course, you know, um, the Egyptians claim that they have the Ark of the Covenant. Here it comes. Um, you know, they're in uh, Ethiopia that it was uh, given to the uh, son of uh, the son of the queen of um, the queen of Ethiopia. I'm just waiting for you to drop your line. Go ahead. Well, that's one. That's one thing. So there's a whole thing about the the uh, you know Solomon had this affair with the uh, queen of uh, the Ethiopians, and the, their son brought the the Ark of the Covenant to Ethiopia. So there's a whole belief that the the Ark of the Covenant is in Ethiopia. There's also, if you're a big fan of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, we know that the temple really, uh, the the Ark of the Covenant is someplace in a U.S. military depot. There it was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so the, there's all this contention about so, where but, the Ark of the Covenant. But even is. even then, without the Ark of the Covenant, that being lost, they still had the temple. 
And so they had, they still had multiple forms of Judaism that were vying for attention. But once the temple was lost, really the only thing that was left was the Pharisaical form because everything was around the temple. Every, all these different types of Judaism were about, you know, um, focusing on the temple. So it just kind of got less and less and less, um, uh, location-based Judaism right, became right. less and less location-based so that by the time it already lost the Ark of the Covenant with the first temple and then by the second temple once that was gone the only thing left was essentially the Pharisees yes and so because there was like the Sadducees and the they had the whole Sanhedrin so, and so Zealots and I know this is in the weeds for some of you but there's so there's a movement going on in Israel even today uh, to try to bring this to pass and according to scripture, uh, the temple needs to be rebuilt because it is there that the Antichrist will seat himself uh, in, in, the, uh, in the Holy of Holies and claim himself to be God. Well, I was listening to a podcast a couple days ago where they were defining cults as um, high-demand high religion. Okay. And I just really hated that definition. And I think I it's a, it's a terrible definition. In fact, I've been listening to a couple different uh, podcasts that deal with cults and they're just talking about um they're talking about the followers of cults and how like the cult leader has authority um like basically if the cult leader says um hey, you should be nice to this person, then everybody automatically treats that person nicely, right? And they're saying that sort of high demand, that sort of like discipline is like inappropriate. And I'm thinking to myself, like, like literally that is what the word disciple means. Like we're to be disciples of Christ, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the idea behind the idea behind cults, of course, it would be just a fascinating uh, deal dealing with that. We have so many pseudo-Christian cults. We right. have cults that develop personality cults. Uh, for those of you who love uh, who love uh, Oneida silverware, uh, you may not be aware, probably most of you are not aware, that uh, Oneida silverware came out of a Christian cult that, that uh, moved back into the New York area and uh, and the leader uh, believed that uh, uh, couples should uh, mix it up. There you and go. It became a sex That's, thing. That seems a very popular thing to do. Yeah. But the, so the point I was making was there's this new definition I've heard on a couple different podcasts that's basically just claiming that if religion is high demand, then it's cult. I just want to point out that's not Christianity is high demand. Yeah, yeah, that's not. like actual discipleship. Like that the idea that you become like your leader, that you're know, like Christianity like <laughs> that's what discipleship is. You're supposed to imitate Christ. Right. And it even goes further. Paul says imitate me as I imitate Christ. So th- what I'm saying is as the world becomes more and more um <sighs> aggressive toward the idea that religion is outside the realm of the personal but actually has a um has attached to it a physical responsibility to be disciplined it makes sense that this the next step in this phase after apostasy is that somebody would rise up and overthrow anything that has discipline in the very place where that discipline is you know is required. We, you know, the the Jews build this temple for high demand all the way up to, you know, blood sacrifice. And this guy comes in and says, no, wait a second. Like, you don't need that sort of discipline. You're your own God. I'm my own God. You're Jesus. I'm Jesus. You know, right, right. I'm the Christ. So, so the Apostle Paul is giving warning that, that these things need to be in place. Now, in the rest of chapter two, he basically gives that explanation for characteristics of the man of lawlessness. Um, what I would say is this, and, we'll, and then we'll close this segment because time is moving on us. Um, but but um, what I would say is this, is that it's very important for people to understand that in order for things, for these things to happen, 
There, there are preparatory things that need to take place in order for the end. In to order happen. for the end to come yeah. about, and in order for the man of lawlessness to be able to present himself and have that type of power to to dominate the world, there has to be things in place for that to happen. And when the scripture was written. Um, what many people saw in what was being written by the Apostle Paul and others that appeared to be apocalyptic, they couldn't quite see. I mean, they could take by faith that these things needed to be there, but they couldn't quite see how those things would happen. And yet today, we know that these things can happen on a worldwide scale, and there are preparatory things taking place. So, for example... Um, and I'll just give you two examples, and we can talk about it uh, next week some more. But um, two two things to keep in mind: first of all, the internet, the the uh, the the growth, the creation by um, Al Gore of the internet, <laughs> um, the the creation of the internet. Let me clarify, I'm joking. Al Gore thinks he created it. He did not create the internet, okay? It came out of, uh, it was first a thing for colleges and universities. That being said, the internet uh, has created an international language to bring all nations together, to disseminate information, to collect information, to, so... So uh, to have uh, to have an effect, it's not really a language over, but it's a protocol. It's okay, but well, I'm speaking as a layman. Okay, um, but but uh, I'm I'm no way a geek, but as a, a historian, as a theologian, I can observe what the internet represents and what it does, and yeah, it and connects everyone. It is profound, like it literally profound. connects everyone. Yes, it connects everybody. So. So and you can literally see happening things happening within within seconds of when they actually happen, um, depending on how they go up. On well, the you can see them and, live. Yeah, so, like you're seeing us live right now. So it's, all tens of you. It's it's absolutely amazing. So that that has never been present inside of history at this point. So that's so that's one thing. The the other thing is then is is the uh, the existence of the united nations and the member nations and the uh attempt a continued attempt sometimes surreptitiously to to uh to make the world adhere to a global standard we just okay so um to make the world adhere to a global standard and and there are so, for example, uh, many of you may not know, but the United Nations has adopted as their as their legal speak uh, the Muslim uh, understanding of Sharia law, which we reject. The United States rejects that, but the United Nations clearly has tried to take steps and is is doing so to become a dominant. Authority establishing some type of a a world governance, and uh, that's not new though. That's not new, but it's 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 developing in its reach. The League of Nations that was you League know, of Nations was, was the first world attempt. But it, well, the League of Nations was a failed attempt. Yeah, to try to deal with some of the aftermath of World War One. I. I would think the rise of cryptocurrency. Would be like much more well a whole nother relevant a, a whole nother issue. Cryptocurrency has to is is more relevant to the to the expanse of the internet. Well, just the idea of a one world economy. Yeah, dark dark currency, cryptocurrency. Yes, yes. That that's a that's a whole nother discussion when you talk about economics. But but the or, or even or even or even like um, corporate monopolies and things like that. Like well, you have uh, corporations that are much more like much more powerful than countries. Like look another at Disney. Dis- another discussion for um, uh, for the apocalypse and, and 
what we see happening, particularly when you deal with uh, capitalism and democracy. Is I'm as not we saying I'm not saying that Disney is the apocalypse. No, but I, I but I do want to point no, out. No, but you are correct. The big four clearly Disney is another one. Disney has a Disney has this thing about gathering people's narratives and then altering the narratives to the point like you want to talk about apostasy oh yeah like altering altering the social narrative to the point where people don't even know where that social narrative initially came from or what it is and they're offended when they see like say a dark version of the little mermaid where she dies and becomes sea foam because that doesn't happen to ariel yeah but let me tell you i'm offended at the little mermaid ride where ursula like shows up for 10 seconds at the end and all of a sudden, Eric and her are having a happy, happy ending. Yeah, but you have the advantage, Just Josh. Uh, you it have the me. you have the advantage of being uh, of being um, as a child, your mother taking you to some of the root things like Grimm's fairy tales and other types of things, and going to the base of what some of those really started out as. Yes, there are many people today who have no idea. Well, you will be massively surprised if you go on a deep dive of (laughs) where a lot of these stories came from, which quite honestly, like there was a movie that came out a couple years ago. ago. I haven't seen it yet. I really want to called Gretel and Hansel. I've seen it. You've seen Gretel and Hansel. Yeah. Not Hansel and Gretel. No, no, Gretel and Hansel. The horror movie. Yeah. Since when do you watch horror movies? She's, she's a, they're hunters. They're witch. No, you're talking about, Hansel and Gretel, Witch Hunters. I'm talking about Gretel and Hansel, which is a horror movie. I, not. I think I've seen no, it. No, you are talking about a pre-Avengers uh, Jeremy Renner as Hansel, like a grown, like an adult Hansel. Okay, I, let me just trust say, me. I am I pop culture. I've, that I think I've seen. It. I doubt it. It's the the preview is like an old lady and she's like pulling hair out of her mouth. Okay. I'm telling you, you haven't seen it. Anyway, the point is, it's like straight horror, right? Yeah. And people people are like offended. Like, how could you take something that's so, um, you know, like it's a children's story. Right, like Hansel and Gretel and but the, those the things, breadcrumbs and all that Yeah, stuff. but those things are not, those things were meant to scare little children to teach them morality. It's a morality tale. Yeah. And it's, it, it, it actually fit, a lot of those stories fit way more into the category of horror than they do into, you know, Disney, which basically created its own category, children's. Anyway. Yeah. So so I must um, be missing culture insanity. Yeah, you must. So so um <laughs> so scripture varies very clearly, even though you look at these things and you say, wait a minute, Pastor Monte, how could these things actually happen? Well, I'm here to tell you that there are things happening even today on a local as well as so domestic as well as worldwide scale which uh, are in place to begin to bring uh, to fruition some of see what we see happening right here in second thessalonians yep. and we'll talk more about that next week let's get into our our next segment uh, less time runs away from us yep. and uh, talk continue talking about relationship Now, last week, one of the things we talked about, or we, we, we have been talking about the relationship that exists between parent and child. So let me just say that, and, and we ended with a Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6, where it talks about the fact that the, the uh, God's command to Moses was that the people of Israel were to constantly have the word, God's statutes, before children, so that when they when they were walking, when they ate, when they you know when they were doing chores, when they were doing whatever, they were constantly uh, the parents were constantly involved in teaching them about the statutes of God. Right. And then you have, of course, in Scripture, uh, Proverbs, for example, where it talks about train up your child in the way they shall go, and when they are old, they shall not depart from it. In in and in each of those instances, um, you what is being said is that parents, uh, it is it is your responsibility, according to Scripture, to be involved in the training of your child, not 
not giving them five minutes a day or not, you know, um, you know, not setting time aside at a lesson time, but training, meaning that you are to constantly be involved in the life of your children, teaching them the statutes of God as they are growing up. Mm -hmm. And if there's anything which is difficult for parents today, particularly in our in our uh, our um, compartmentalized way of doing things, yeah, is that children do not have the advantage of being able to when they're working with their parents and and uh, what have you to ask questions and their parents to impart to them. Um, you know, what God's Word has to say about uh, issues of uh, conduct, about issues of morality, about theological-type issues, the fact that there is there is God, and uh, these things that we see around us were created, and all of those types of issues, those things are passed on as a child is trained uh, until, they, uh, in, until they get into adulthood, and, and uh, we lack that sorely today. Yeah, well, parents don't live their lives with their children, you know. So much has been taken away because of various things. Um, you know, the the public education system, um, which was really pro... Uh, sorry, it's escaping me. But it was, like, pushed through by John Dewey, um, the same guy who gave us the Dewey Decimal System. Sure, sure. Um, but it was pushed through by him, and he was he was anti-Christian. He he believed that you know God needed to be taken out of the school system because that's where most education took place, right? And be given to the state. And so you know he's been very successful. He his work was very successful and pioneering at that. And so um, you know you took it out of the church, which is you got to remember that's where most of even the major like Ivy League institutions were once Christian. Exactly. Um, you took it out of the church. You put it into the hands of the public. The public is basically minimum grade education, um, creating minimum standards. Uh, and in creating these minimum standards, they went with a uh, non-God-based, essentially naturalistic, deterministic way of viewing information. Um, on top of that, you have the non-personal relationship um growth of the industrial revolution right. which took workers out of the um trades and put them into i don't even know what you would call it well the fields and trades yeah and and put them into the city doing essentially mindless work mm, right um so there's you know the craftsmanship is gone with the craftsmanship being gone you have the kids not learning any sort of um skills you know it's funny because you you have the name like smith you know and everybody was named Smith in, in a family because at one point there was, you know, a blacksmith or, or something, something like that, mm -hmm. you know, and you were this person like John, Silversmith, John, the, Goldsmith. yeah, John, yeah. the blacksmith, John, the silversmith right. or whatever. And then every other person in that family would be, you know, that, and then it became associated with that family. And that's sort of the etymology of names and how those came to be. Well, that basically stopped with the industrial revolution, with the start of the Industrial Revolution came kids that weren't quite in, uh, you know, they weren't quite developmentally where the adults were. And so then when when rights started to come because you can't, like, overwork the kids and so on and so forth, and they weren't being watched by their parents because the parents were either in the city working and couldn't watch their kids or they were in the fields, you know, and you have these kids that are basically growing up in the inner city by themselves. And that created teenagers, uh, which didn't exist, right. you know, for a long time. There's a, it's basically this cascade failure of society where this domino effect, one thing causes another thing, causes another thing, causes another thing. And, um, basically what you have at the end of all these things is, children disconnected from parents with no real future. I mean, let's add to it uh, the influence of German nihilism and philosophy infiltrating psychology yeah, and, you know, working itself out with uh, alongside Darwinism and naturalism, working itself out in terms of the... Um, in terms of developmental psychology and, you know, the writings of like Dr. Spock, for instance, and, you know, children should raise themselves. 
Uh, right. I mean, we, it just goes on and on and on and on. It's and a rabbit could, hole. We could spend a lot of time just dealing with the history uh, and the uh, of the psychology and the philosophy and the sociology that surrounds that. That being said, the picture that, that Scripture paints is that we as children have a responsibility to be actively involved in training our children. We as parents. As, yes, yes, as parents. We have a responsibility to do that. And we have a responsibility to, through relationship, pass on to them uh, an understanding of the character of God and and what God requires of us in relationship. Yeah, and I'll just add to that, not just relationship, but as Pastor Monty alluded to earlier, intentful relationship. Yes. Like, I know that I'm passing this on, and I'm trying to pass this on, which, quite frankly, is now considered aggressive and oppressive, yeah. Right? It's yeah. the patriarchy. How dare you, as a father, think that you should tell this person even what their gender is? <gasps> How yeah. dare you? Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's crazy. So when we go into scripture, we find these passages that I've indicated. There's the, in Deuteronomy. There's in Proverbs, and there's uh, there's one there's one more passage in uh, Ephesians where instruction is given to uh, fathers in particular mm-hmm. um, that they are not to uh, um, ex- exasperate. exasperate their children. And, I know this passage well. And that's the, that's, the only, <laughs> that's the only real instruction that is given to parents in regard to how it is that they're to deal with their children. Now, um, in... And here's the thing. Let's let's talk about that last passage there. What do y'all know? What it means to exasperate? Likely not. It means <laughs> it means what it means is that you are um, aggressively uh, antagonizing or frustrating your child. Yeah, I think I think it really just means to give them no hope. Well, it can be probably boiled down to that. Yeah. It can be boiled down to that. Uh, and, um, you know, Josh knows this passage well. And the reason he knows this passage <laughs> well is because there are not too many passages, as, as we have indicated, there are not a lot of passages directed towards parents as to how they're to deal with children. But this one is very specific by the Apostle Paul. And and uh, <laughs> that's not and, and it puts it puts Josh in a difficult position because whenever <laughs> whenever he throws that passage at me, nope, I have I have nowhere to go with it because be, except to back off from what we're discussing because the because he's telling me you know you're you're frustrating me, Dad. Well, if I make fun of him being frustrated, then I'm frustrating him all the further. So the and I can't tell him, you know, Josh, is is that all you got? No, you see, because you can't. Re- the reason why I know this passage well <laughs> is because in every place where you find it, it's not just one passage, mind you. It's in a couple different places, but every time this passage is said or something like it is said it's always attached to another passage which is quoted quite often in my youth um and i hear adults quote all the time which is children obey your parents absolutely and so that passage has been quoted so many times but if you go look at those passages what you find is that directly next to those passages is parents do not exasperate your children in in fact do you know that uh, under uh, in the old it's the testament, dirty little secret of that passage in the old testament if children disobeyed their parents no they could be stoned to death those children were not children for the record they weren't like babies or toddlers or little kids. They yeah, don't, were. Don't be writing and calling in saying I'm advocating stoning your children, <laughs> because Josh is correct. The correct exegesis is to understand those. We're talking about adult. We're children. talking about adults who disrespected the upbringing to the point where they are maladaptive in their behavior. Like they they have now become societal problems and so it makes sense for society to have to deal with them but the admonition it doesn't mean if you smart off to your parents they can throw a rock at your face 
The admonition, maybe slap it. The ad, the, ad, <laughs> the, the admonition. How oppressive of you and your patriarchy. Yes, 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 definitely. Toxic masculinity. And you're white. Um, <laughs> you're white cisgendered patriarchy. Absolutely. Damn, I'm a racist. <laughs> um, so the the uh, the passage that is given to uh, to to children. Yeah. The first passage in the in the Ten Commandments that has a promise attached to it, again, is uh, how it is that parents are to be honored. Right. For you are to honor your parents, for in doing so, you will uh, live long. Right. It has a promise attached, or it has a benefit attached to it. Right, right. But there are other passages which are implicit, and I think that that's really what it comes down to, is that we tend to take an overtly again not meant to be offensive but like a archaic jewish way of looking at the law which is to say not what should i be going toward but what can i get away with right and so then all of our like laws are all set children up, think that way all humans do um but in the scripture it's like sort of categorized that way and jesus he he cuts through that and so the scripture may not say don't do this or don't do that or do this you know, but there's implicit things like, for instance, where it says no parent gives a child a snake when they ask for bread. For bread, yeah. Right. So there's so so though the scripture doesn't say give your child nice things, it is also it it's also really clear that you don't um, be mean or cruel, you know, in, in yeah, implicit in, by common impl- sense by, in there. And then on top of it, you just, the, the big one, right? The big one is the descriptive relationship. So again, you've got, so there's two terms we use oftentimes when we're talking about application, there's description and prescription, right? And so the scripture doesn't have a lot of prescribed behaviors, meaning saying do this or don't do this. Right. But there's a lot of description in the scripture of what is positive in a relationship and what is negative in a relationship. Right. And specifically, God himself sets himself up in a positive relationship in the Godhead between the Father and the Son. And we get to see what that loving relationship looks like. So, um, yeah, there's not a lot of prescription, but there is a whole lot of description to it. So that's why we got to be careful with parents, you know, rattling off like well you just have to respect me or obey me or it's the same problem we have with uh submission in in the husband wife relationship where people are like well there's not a lot of prescription here except for that women are need to be submissive to men well no there's a ton of description about how christ views the relationship making himself the husband in the analogy with the church and then setting himself up to be the one who sacrifices for his bride and so on and so forth like it is disingenuous, and quite frankly, I'm not fooled by it um, when we when we say there's not enough prescription. And in the Old Testament, um, we have the we have description then of how it is that we are to walk and talk, as it were, and to train children and to involve them in how it is that they come before God. And, and minister to the needs of God. And then in the New Testament, we what we have is the Apostle Paul reiterating the importance of understanding the relationship that is to exist there. Yeah. And that becomes so important then later as you develop the relationship because what what's really, and we talked a little bit about this, and we'll just kind of end on this note as we pick it up next week and continue this discussion. The, the, in, the importance of moving in how it is then we have our relationship with our, our children and children with their parents, moving away from the idea of, uh, of having to tell or having to rescue them um, from circumstances to now having a discussion about how it is that as a parent you make decisions and deal with things in life. When a child is small, it's it's perfectly a- appropriate to say to a child, uh, really, what you're saying when you say this succinctly. What you say succinctly is, you know, um, you. <laughs> I don't have to tell you my reasoning. 
you do what I tell you to do. Um, but when there comes a point where that no longer satisfies the training of the child, it no longer satisfies your responsibility as a parent to give guidance as to why you make the decisions you make as an adult and how it is that they can participate in that understanding. And, and uh, I think that parents become very threatened yeah. by their children when children come to the point where they're really trying to explore and figure out who they are, and they start looking at the actions of parents and say, well, I don't understand. Why do you do that? Well, it's actually it's a very limited stage. And what you're talking about is in development, we call it trust of care. And then the next step of development, when a person starts to push those boundaries and they're really trying to understand and not rebel, but just understand what the world looks like, that stage is called trust of control in development. And yeah, it the trust of care is a limited stage. It's very, very small. Right. Um, it, right. Think of it as crossing the street, you know, like a little kid. When you, I, it may sound harsh when Pastor Monty's like, because I said so, but you can't, when a child is going to run across a busy street, you can't argue with the child about the safety of it. Although we, we see people all the time that are stuck in that, that they do. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's... That's dangerous That's a whole child. maladaptive yeah, yeah, behavior. But, yeah, yeah, very dangerous. Um, but, yeah, there, there has to be... There has to be a meeting of the minds that should always take place. The at a certain stage of development, that is not meeting the mind. You know, the, when somebody's at a certain stage of development, they have a very black and white, concrete thinking. So it it doesn't make sense for you to explain every behavior. However, you can model. You can model. Um, you can model explanation. You can model reason so that they feel comfortable uh coming to you and asking for those things and there's a way to do that um which we can talk about later um i just want to remember to discuss maybe for next time eli sure like talking about eli yes, and, and phineas sons, and yes. hopney phineas yes. and ferb um talking about eli and his sons because there's a good example there of somebody who let his children develop on their own without input. So we, we need yeah. to have both. You know, we need to, as Pastor Monty puts it, we need to be, uh, what is it, an advocate or something? I can't remember how you Proactive. put it. But, but we need, in, in the one vein, we need to switch to to um, having a discussion with our children and letting them make decisions. In the other vein, there is something as enabling, and we see it in Scripture. There's massive implications for that too. So. Right. And so the, the overarching subject that we're talking about is relationship. A relationship is complex. And in this case, we're talking about the relationship between parent and child. So next week what we're going to do is we're going to pick up this aspect of this, 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 the discussion to say, if the undergirding of our discussion is uh, training, mm -hmm. training has um, training has uh, um, a progression to it. Yeah, and often what takes place is parents have difficulty uh, in in implementing the progression, which is necessary for the child to be able to grow. Right, and and that can happen because of ignorance. It can be happen because uh, because uh, the parents feel threatened. It can be ha it can happen for a number of reasons. And so we're going to explore that uh, next week. Uh, but uh, let's close out our time together uh, with a quick "What's up with that?" Well, you know, in in, uh, in Germany. Um, there's a really, really cool um, museum. It's a it's a train museum. Okay. And so they have all kinds of uh, they have all kinds of a train track set up, and and they've got a town that the train goes through, and it's it's quite elaborate. And uh, you know when you've got too much time on your hands uh, during the uh, COVID uh, thing. Uh, in Germany, when there was too much time on their hands there, they took their train museum and filled 3,000 glasses 
of water. You know, water uh, when it, in a glass can make different pitches, right? Oh, interesting. Different notes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they uh, they they constructed uh, two thousand eight hundred and forty different notes. So when the train goes by the track, it hits these glasses and plays classical music. That's cool. Yeah, that's <laughs> that. Way too much time on their hands. Uh, apparently so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's yeah. cool. No, this it is pretty neat. Um, you would have to watch the video, so Jasmine, producer Jasmine, she can can uh, hook you up with this. In Wisconsin, there was a uh, early in the morning. Uh, there was a, a school that um, the students were getting ready to take their, uh, I think, their SAT tests or something like that. Mm-hmm. And in the courtyard of the school, lightning struck a tree mm-hmm. and, and uh, destroyed that tree right in front of the kids. Mm-hmm. And nobody was hurt. Nobody was hurt. But the, but the security cameras of the school caught the actual... Strike Bolt. of the lightning. Yeah, that's fun. In in how it just went all the way through the core of the tree, and then watching the tree collapse. Quite a quite an impressive showing. She posted it. The, yeah, it's it's really cool. Um, so they and wh- why is that a part of what's up with it? Because you know you hear about those things and the destructive power of lightning. Yeah, but to actually be able to. Have captured it. Were they in the building or outside? They were in the building. Okay, so yeah. but they weren't like around. No, they the... were safe. They were safe. Okay, they were in the building. Yeah, but just amazing to get this and watch this. If you have an opportunity, uh, do that. Now you know when. Uh, so our third thing, you know, when Josh was uh, growing up, Josh used to present me with um, these uh, toys that he would buy in. Where's this going? <laughs> I would always tease him, you know, because um, he's Josh has got quite a few collections of many different things, and some he buys two of, so he can put uh, he can have one which is uh, unwrapped and and uh, still cased, and others which you could play with. I used to do that. I don't do that anymore. I made a deal with my wife: if I'm going to buy toys, I'm only going to display them. I'm not going to play with them. Yeah. Well, I'm not. I'm just not going to uh, just store them, so they just move with us from place to place. So whenever I would talk to Josh about this, he would tell me, "Well, you know, you know, Dad, this is my investment in the future." Mm-hmm. Now I'm a tax guy. Okay. So I was a tax guy. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, you know, you understand the concept of fair market value, Josh? Sure. He's like. Yeah, Dad, we've been through this before. Uh-huh. I said, okay. So, you know, the, the those things are only as valuable as somebody is willing to pay them. To pay for them, of course. Well, in respect for you, Josh. You've discovered that these things actually have value? Original Mario Brothers. Cartridge. Still in still in case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, auctioned off at $660,000. Yeah, sounds right. Did it have... Oh, 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 and you know what? Original, original uh, first comic book of, or uh, first deal of Superman? Oh, yeah, those are like over really, a million. million dollars. Yeah, 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 yeah. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Yeah, no, comic books, especially the Golden Age comic books, are worth like in the hundreds of thousands. Some of them, not all of them, are like the million dollar ones. Like Amazing Fantasy number 15 with Spider Man, that one's really, really expensive. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. Um, I, I can just I can talk about this subject for a long time. <laughs> okay, well that's that's all I got. All right. Well, hey, speaking of that, I just got a new Funko Pop uh, of Ripley. Do you know who Ripley is from um, Alien? No, I I only know Believe It or Not. Oh, nice Sigourney Weaver. Anyway, I know just, Sigourney Weaver just, and Alien. Yeah, just speaking of collections, I just got a yeah. new Ripley Funko Pop. Okay. Um, okay. Anyway, on that note, we'll go ahead and um, end the show. The Truth Time with Pastor Monty podcast is a resource of Aletheia Bible Fellowship of Portland, Oregon, and it's a webcast on the Vigilance Radio Network, which is one of our resources developed by um, Project Vigilance, which is the group at ABF that makes web content. 
um, interesting resources for the local church and the church at large. If you want to be a part of that, what we're doing here, you can join the VRN's Facebook page to get access to all of our shows, including Culture Insanity, which Pastor Monty is a part of, um, kids shows uh, like Bible with Pastor Adam, we have our weekly sermon, and this week we have Nightlight Radio popping up. Nightlight Radio this week is going to be discussing pornography, kind of a big subject, um, one that the church doesn't really like to address, um, not in any meaningful way. But we're going to be talking about it from 9.30 to 10.30. There's a lot of people that um, deal secretly with addiction to pornography. It's so prevalent. Uh, and so um, if you want to be part of that discussion or feel that you know somebody could use having that discussion from a Christian perspective, um, please check us out 9.30 to 10.30 this Thursday night. You can send us uh, an email at counseling at abfpdx.org um, or shoot us a text message and we will uh, we'll take testimonials, we'll take questions, um, anything like that. So that's at 9.30 this Thursday night talking about pornography. Feel free to check out some of our latest episodes. We just did an episode on addiction specifically to like social media, technology, uh, screens, and one on anxiety, like social anxiety. So again, 9.30 to 10.30 uh, this Thursday night. If you've enjoyed Truth Time, please consider supporting us. Our network and shows are free to you, but they're not free to us. So head over to abfpdx.org and you can click donate. Um, even a dollar a month would be helpful for us. And you can always partner with us by remembering to like, subscribe, and share our podcast. You can always find it on ABF's YouTube page, Facebook, all that good stuff. Take a second to visit the group page so you can stay up to date whenever we share new content each week, which for this show is shared on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. We will see you then. I am Pastor Josh, your senior pastor over at ABF, and this has been Pastor Monty. The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship.